Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. In season two, I'm going to be exploring some experts and asking them what freedom means for them and trying to help people work to live and not live to work. Trying to help people add life to their years and not just years to their life. So let's dive on in and here's season two. Welcome to this week's episode of the Freedom Fridays podcast where my guest this week is <laughs> a podcaster, an entrepreneur, an, a newly formed author, and, and all sorts of things. So, Melissa Marsden, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Pete. You're welcome. It's been a while in the making. You've had a few things go on in between our chats. So, congratulations on the birth of your new child. Thank you. Thank you. You've now got the, the magic number of three, rounds out the triangle. I do, and I was lucky enough to close it out with a boy after having two girls. So it's been it's been really lovely. Cool, cool. Well, thank you again for making the time because I know we've got three kids, but a bit older, it can be a little bit hectic when you've now got three. <laughs> yes, it's uh, an interesting challenge. We've got one at daycare, one at primary school, and then of course the little one who's now four months old. So it's an interesting juggle in the morning to get everyone out the door, including myself, ready and uh, and and ready for the day. Yeah, yeah, we found that those that kind of before school time and after school time are the most hectic. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. <laughs> Anyways, so maybe this will give you, I don't know, 40 minutes of freedom. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Melissa, again, thank you for your time. Um, as I said to you offline, we, we start this by a very broad question. Um, in the work that you do or with your customers and clients, what does freedom mean? Mm. It's a very interesting question and I'm going to start by answering it in the fact that freedom is actually one of my values and the reason that I have freedom as one of my values is because what I realized over time was that freedom is something that I think is very important to each of us and a lot of that comes down to choice and having the ability to choose how we spend our time with whom we spend our time and you know and what do we want to do with our lives and What I started to notice was really the opposite of freedom. It was when I felt stressed, burnt out, under pressure. It was really because I felt like my ability to choose and therefore my ability to, you know, have my own personal freedom was being taken away from me. So, you know, program deadlines, you know, project deadlines, client issues, those sorts of things, anything that sort of 
constricts or constrains you is a result of a lack of freedom. So that's kind of where I realized that freedom was such an important value for me. And when I first sat down and did my value set, I realized that that was in there. And it was actually um, when I was doing, I'm really big into personality profiling. And there was a, a comment that was in one of my personality profiles and it described me as a fox. And it, this is the, the analogy that it used was, you know, if you bo box a fox into a corner, the first thing they do is come out fighting. And I went, oh, that's exactly it. Like I get, I get shitty. I, you know, you're, you're you come out fighting because you've been feel like you're being boxed in. And that's when it really struck home for me that freedom was something that I really valued. And since I've gone through that exercise and had it there, I had it as my fifth value. I actually realized now it's actually my number one value. And what that's what's happened as a result of that realization is that. I've shifted my business model. I've shifted the way that I operate my day, my week. Everything has really uh, transformed in a way that I feel like I am working towards creating more freedom for myself mm -hmm. um, as time goes on. So that's how important it's become for me personally. And it's something that I'm starting to notice far more prevalently in the work that I do with my clients as well. So as a workplace strategist and commercial workplace designer, you know, off the back of pandemic and everything else that's yeah. happened, everyone else has realized that we really all want this choice. We want to choose when we work. We want to choose how we work, who we work for, and have a lot more um, responsibility around how we structure our days. And that is what I'm starting to see far more um, prevalently with the clients we're working with and their employees as well. Well, there's, <laughs> as I've always found when I've done these conversations, there's, there's so many places we could go just in the opening comments. So I'm going to go a couple of places first. Um, like you, uh, freedom is one of my values. And I did this, well, you've probably heard of Stephen Covey, Seven yeah. Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a bit of a Bible in, in our world. Um, part of the program that I did, this will be way late 90s, was to choose your, your values. And interestingly, I've done subsequent ones and it hasn't shown up, but I do remember um, the four Fs, um, family, friends, fun, and freedom as being my significant values. Now I've done other ones like you, values exercises, but they don't quite show up as exactly as that, but that's always stuck with me uh, as being uh, something that I held true. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions. When did you decide freedom was number five? For example, did it come onto your list? Mm. And how is that the, the freedom from how has that shifted from freedom from what when it was number five and freedom from what that it's now number one? Mm -hmm. Okay. So freedom came onto my radar uh, would have been about four or five years ago when I went and I really started to get deep into this because I was trying to work out what I wanted to do with my business and where yeah. I fitted into that. And that's where this kind of, you know, really the positioning that I wanted to take with how I wanted to put my brand out there. Yep. So that's where the, the whole concept initially started. And I was also doing some leadership work. I was on the board of the Entrepreneurs Organization in the Brisbane chapter. And we did some work around value sets there as part of our leadership journey. And that's when it really became obvious to me that freedom was in that top five. What happened as a result of that, though, is I had brought my awareness to the need for that freedom. And I started to realize where all of those pain points were in my business and in my life that were a result of not having the freedom that I desired. 
So what that then did was I started to notice those things and I went, okay, well, I don't want to do that anymore and I don't want to do that anymore. And some of those things are, you know, I as a business owner have um, the workplace strategy and design firm. So community is my, my business baby. And we deliver workplace experiences and, you know, complete workplace environments to our clients. That's a heavily project-driven world where there is lots of stress, lots of pressure, lots of deadlines, um, lots of external demands, things that are constantly outside of your control that you have to manage and deal with. And that was a big thing that was taking away my freedom. And so what I've started to do is I then began to shift my business around, well, what are the types of projects that we want to do? Who are the types of clients that we want to work with? And what parts of the project do we actually want to be working on? And, you know, the delivery end of a project is very stressful and you're at the beck and call of everybody else, which takes away any freedom because you no longer have the choice to determine when you can go on holidays, when you have your meetings, you know, any of those things get removed. So what I started to do was I became much more selective over the projects that we were going to be taking on, but also what our role within those projects was going to be. So that in doing so, I could then actually control far more how my time was being used, when it was being used, when I was needing to attend meetings, all of those sorts of things. And so progressively, that's how it's then enabled to show up in my business. I've been able to shift my focus to be more on my terms as opposed to being responsive to the terms and conditions of the external factors that go with those projects. Yeah. So you're not saying, I think, and I'm, because I'm interested in this, you're not saying freedom doesn't mean responsibility. No, absolutely not. Freedom is still responsibility. It's just yeah. about choosing where you're going to be responsible. And, and that I think many entrepreneurs feel this as well the shift from my term from their terms to my terms Mm. that's you know the that's a goal I think for many entrepreneurs um how long did that take still a work in progress (laughs) (laughs) um you know I'm delivering construction projects at the moment as we speak um so What it has enabled me to do, though, is be very choosy about those projects. So I have three projects that are in construction that I'm personally managing at the moment, but they are three projects that I would choose again to be involved with. And it just means that we are being more conscious of that. And I think, you know, and that, again, is freedom. It's having the ability to choose. I chose to work on these projects, so therefore I have to accept the conditions with which that they come with. Um, but it also enables me to look at other options. And, you know, I've also then explored the online world and creating online programs to then create further freedom and flexibility. Um, That hasn't worked as well for me because I think there is a a whole new raft of challenges and being a consultant in a corporate world, you know, similar to yourself, there's only so much that you can deliver from an online program versus an engaged consultative process. So it's limited I think in in certain capacities depending on you know the world and the industry in which you operate as to whether or not you can create a very successful and a whole business around a purely online program sort of it's a it's a secondary piece it's not the whole business yeah and so in this this freedom and I'm hearing you use certainly the start of our conversation a lot of it's a choice Mm. 
Um, when is it okay not to choose? Because I, I guess, you know, the, the, the roles that we all have, you know, you're an author, you're a podcaster, you're an entrepreneur, you're a mum, you, you might have probably a partner, you've probably got some friends and family. And, and I'm, maybe I'm just reflecting my own position. I, I feel a little bit of obligation sometimes, a responsibility mm. to be the, the dad, the partner, the friend, the consultant, you know, blah, 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 blah. So to some degree, I don't have freedom in its mm. purest sense. I'm not, and, and I don't know if I want to be completely free from that responsibility. I quite like it. I quite, I want to, I kind of choose to have that responsibility. And I guess maybe this is my struggle is getting that balance right of the over-index of, of over-choosing and over-responsibility with under-choosing and under-responsibility. And I'm kind of just throwing things out there at the top of my head. Does that does that resonate in any way or any comments about the the over or the under choosing? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, as parents and as partners, there is a responsibility and an obligation that you take on when you take on those roles and those positions. Yeah. And I think that also comes back to your value set, but also where you prioritise your time and, you know, understanding that, you know, the thing that I kind of am reflecting on, and again, as I said, this is a work in progress for me, as I'm sure it is with many people, is that right now I have a four-month-old baby. And so <laughs> There's my, no freedom there. There's no freedom. Zero <laughs> freedom. But that's a choice that I made. But that also means that there are things that I have to give in other ways. So I'm probably not doing as much on the work front that I would have done pre a four-month-old baby. Um, you know, so I think there has to be some flexibility and there's give and take. And, you know, I, I like to think about it as in the seasons and cycles of life. We go through different seasons. You know, the season that I am is very different to the season that you're in with, you know, your children in their early 20s versus a four-month-old. But that then comes with it, different responsibilities, different enablements of time, different priorities. And that allows you then to make different choices about how you want to spend your, your time and, and where you choose to, to put that. Similarly for me, I'm choosing to spend as much time as I can with my, my newborn son, but I also thoroughly enjoy the work that I do and contributing back to the lives of the people that I, I get to touch through the work that I do. Yeah. And so it's about working out, well, what's a fair exchange of my time to those people yeah. versus my family and my husband and, and everyone else that's around me? And what does that structure look like? And, and yeah. how do I manage that? Mm. Um, it strikes me as you're talking, um, and forgive me, I'm going to be judgmental on us both here for a second. Uh, and so you might not feel this, but I feel this sometimes. I feel very privileged mm. that I'm able to be in the space that I'm in, the house that I'm in, I run my own business. And whilst we, you know, we know as entrepreneurs and business owners, that can be very challenging, but it's a different sort of challenge than if I, you know, if, if I'm renting and I've, I've only got a job and I feel I have to turn up because if I don't turn up, I don't get paid. And literally I'm going from bill to bill. And, and, you know, you and I talk about freedom and choice and, and I'm sure there are people listening and go, I've got no choice. I've got no freedom here. How would you, is it even possible to plant a seed that despite the constraints that that person might feel, is there any freedom in that? Is there any choice in that? 
It's a really good question. And I, I agree with you. It is a very privileged position from which I speak because I have made the opportunity to have my own business, which does mm. give me that flexibility and freedom. Um, on the flip side, as you know, many other entrepreneurs will know, that's you know, can total rubbish at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Flexibility and freedom certainly isn't, you know, handed yeah. to you without running your own no. business. It's the dream no. you aspire to, but it doesn't quite work out that way. Yeah, totally. But I think, you know, from that perspective of, you know, having a job and not having, you know, the feeling of not having a choice, I can definitely resonate with that. You know, I have been in that situation as well. And that is why I made the decisions and the choices to, to start my own business so that I was working on my own terms. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that then has afforded me to make these decisions and to get the outsourced help that I need to enable me to do all of the things. Like right now, as we're having this podcast, my son's with a nanny. So yeah. they've gone for a lovely walk to the park. That's a That's an... A privileged position that I'm in to be able to afford to have that yep. as a result of the choices that I've made. And I think I think we all have a level of choice. We can all choose our own reality. And you know, whether or not that means that you can make the same decisions that I can make, but there will be a decisions that are available to you for you to be able to make different choices and different selections that will give you some level of freedom in your life. I believe that everyone has that opportunity. It's just the varying degrees of what that looks like. Um, I remember this was maybe a few weeks ago, I read something um, that says we're not seeking peace of mind, we're seeking peace from mind, mm. which I thought was a lovely way of putting it. And the reason I'm, I'm, that clicked was because I remember, again, it was the Stephen Covey course 25, 30 odd years ago that I attended. And it was just a change in language from I have to to I choose to. Mm. And even if I do have a job that I have to go to nine to five because it pays the bills and your blood and the, the it doesn't feel like there's choice even that switch in mindset from well I have to go to work to okay I choose to go to work mm. just that slight shift despite the having to um seems to make a difference for some people I think it does I think it's a big there's a, a really big thing in language and uh, Mojo Crow actually said something similar. He said, it's not that you have to, it's that you get to. You know, I don't have yeah, to go and pick up my kids from school. I get to go and pick up my kids to school. And, you know, I, I don't have to spend time with my wife. I get to spend time with my wife. It's just even the inflection that comes from using that different language, it elevates that, you know, that subconscious feeling of, you know, the emotion that you attach to that task or activity that comes with it. And I think mindset has a huge amount to do with, you know, how we feel about everything. Like in our language has a, a lot to do with that mindset shift. And, you know, just being very careful about the words that we choose to use and the language that we get to use can have a very big impact on how we start to feel about ourselves and how we start to feel about our world. And, you know, we're all fortunate to be able to work if we can, because that means we're getting to contribute and we're getting paid for our contribution, which then enables yeah. us to go and invest that money back into our families or however we choose to do that. Yeah. You know, these are all very amazing things that we get and we're getting to do those things as opposed to having to do them. Yeah, I love that. That's such a, I love the simple, yet for me, profound distinctions in going from I have to to I get to. Mm. That is a beautiful distinction. And where it takes me is, and um, because I get to, 
you know, we, you could argue there's always someone worse off than us, mm -hmm. despite our situation. That That's probably not true for the last person, <laughs> but there's always someone worse off than us, which means there's, you know, this this image of there's always someone better too. So we're somewhere in this this hierarchy of some to some degree. But for going from I have to to I get to takes me to a place. So what is me getting to contribute to? Mm. So even if I'm pumping petrol, even if I'm making sandwiches in some warehouse in Western Sydney for the planes that other people are getting to fly off to holiday from, I get to, it mm. might just open up the possibility of me thinking about the contribution that I'm making, however small or minute. Yeah. Which again, doesn't change my wages. It doesn't change necessarily. I'm up at three to get there for four, you know, all the trials and tribulations of that, but it might just soften the, I have to, to, I get to. I think a lot of that comes back to purpose. And this is a big piece of the work that I do with the organisations I work with is really getting clear on what the purpose of those organisations are and how do we align that with the individual purpose of the employees? Because when you get that alignment, that's when you're getting that buy-in and that's when we get that connectivity. And, you know, the, the famous one is the janitor who was working at NASA when JFK came to visit. You know, he, the janitor's there mopping the floor and JFK says to him, you know, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm helping to put a man on the moon, Mr. Yeah. President. Yeah. And it's like, He's the janitor, but he could see that the contribution that he was making was actually having an impact on those other people within, you know, who's a link in the chain. And he could see this, the end game, you know, line of sight to what they were trying to achieve at a organisational level. And he could see his place in the ability for that to happen. And mm. I think that's true for the, you know, the person who is working at the service station or, you know, who, who's helping put those people on a plane is that without your contribution that that wouldn't happen and they those people wouldn't be able to travel because they wouldn't have fuel or they wouldn't be able to get on their dream holiday because you know you didn't put the bags on the plane or mm. you know you're all contributing to somebody's experience somewhere of mm. making their dreams and their reality come true and in return it's helping you feel your own reality and you know when you talked about earlier about you know I have to go to work I think that in itself is a choice. If you don't enjoy the job that you're doing, go and find another job that aligns more closely with where you want to be and where you feel like you actually have that contrib contribution and that, I don't know, I suppose it's, um, you know, that emotional reward that you get from, mm. from making that contribution. I think that's mm. a choice we all definitely get to have. Yeah. I think inadvertently, depending on our level of awareness we're making choices all day every day about all things yeah uh, and just you know putting people back into cause as opposed to effect mm -hmm. um if i'm going to switch it and go to the other end of the scale and you know we're both business owners entrepreneurs uh my guess is that your plate's a little bit more fuller than mine at the moment um how would you help entrepreneurs get that balance because despite as you said and we both know it's the dream of running your own business boy, it's 24 seven, mm -hmm. you know, taking holidays, whilst it's an enormous privilege, it's a big decision. Certainly for me, if I'm not there, I don't get paid. Mm -hmm. And so how, how, you know, go to the other end of the scale, how would you help entrepreneurs get that balance between I have to, to I get to? This is a really interesting conversation on that one as well, because, you know, I got, I got to take two weeks off. 
when I had my baby. So my mat leave was all of two weeks long. <laughs> Fortunately, I could then return to work with my baby though and I could work from home part of the time and in the office part of the time. Like I had flexibility around how I could make that work. But I didn't have the luxury of taking 12 months off for mat leave. Like I'd effectively would have needed to shut my business for that yeah. period of time. So yeah. I think it's about being really cognizant of what your choices are and understanding what the trade-offs are. Like there's pros and cons that come with everything. Yeah. And part of the work that I do with coaching other business owners is getting them to actually get very clear on those foundational pieces and the program that I run called Live a Life by Design is really aimed at helping entrepreneurs and business owners to get the clarity of that foundational level. Because if you aren't clear on what you want from your own life, where your purpose is, what your values are, what you want your life to actually look like, what are you working towards, your business will just be all over the shop. You know, you'll have lack of clarity in your business. You'll take on projects that you aren't aligned with, that don't fill your cup. You'll become resentful. You'll, you know, you'll get pulled in a million different directions. You'll feel like you're burning yourself out because you're trying to please all of these people and you, you're failing to please yourself. And I'm talking about this from experience because that was me. <laughs> so, you know, we all learn from those mistakes. And now I'm working to help others avoid making those mistakes too by showing them this framework of yep. laying this foundation so that they've got that clarity to move forward. And, you know, and as I said, it's always going to be a pro and a con. You're not always going to get it perfect. There are going to be things that you're going to have to do that you don't want to do. But for yep. the most part, you can then also start to realise and, you know, look at that and go, well, if I don't want to do that, what's the alternative? What, what can I do to change that? And maybe you can and maybe you can't. But at least then you've got the awareness to kind of address that, go, this is what I really would like. How can I make some shifts, some tweaks? Can I outsource part of my business? Can I bring in more team members? Do I just cut that piece of my business off and not do that anymore? Mm. What are those opportunities to really mm. realign your business to where you want it to be? I think that's really critical to get that piece right because otherwise you're just chasing bright, shiny things. And I'm very good at that too. <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. Yeah. And one of the questions I ask my clients is when I ask them about the results that they're creating or the results that have happened, you know, whatever it is, uh, I'll say, despite or because of you. Mm. And, and you can almost every time see them go into some trans derivation search going, what, what? I don't even understand the question. Because some of our results are created, you know, luck, timing, circumstance, right place, right time, you know, yada, yada, yada. Others are because the market's gone up or down or the interest rates have gone up or down or this client showed up or, you know, blah, 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 blah. The extent to which we can shift them to creating the, res the results because of them as opposed to despite them, I think it's a really, for me, it's a really empowering part of the work I do. Mm. It's never going to be 100%, but it should be, we're trying to increase the because of us, not despite us. Yeah. Do you have a view on that? I like that distinction. And I think it's really important because, as you said, there are things that happen to us because of external factors. Yep. We then have a choice, though, how we respond to that. Again, coming back to Stephen Covey and Circle of Influence and Control. It's like, well, what is within my influence and my control and what's not? What do I need to kind of just accept? Yep. And if it is within my circle of influence and my circle of control, what steps can I take to leverage that or shift it or change it depending on where I want to head? And I think that 
that context of, you know, is it despite me? That's a really interesting piece for, for leaders to kind of reflect on and go, well, what was my role in this outcome, positively, mm -hmm. negatively, whatever the outcome was? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What did I do to contribute to that situation? And how could I positively do it again or negatively act in a different way or do something differently to yeah. change the result should it come up again? Yeah. It, that's another question that I got. I can't remember who I got it from, but I've used it many times where particularly in challenging situations when people are, you know, arguing against the reality they're facing, results, team, whatever it might be, the question around how am I contributing to a situation I say I don't want? Mm. And it's a really <laughs> confronting question. Uh, and the answer isn't 100%, but it's probably not 0%. Mm. So somewhere in the middle, I might be contributing 2%, 5%, whatever, you know, the number's arbitrary, but it's to get them to shift from effect to cause mm. to some degree. Yeah. Um, and again, a little bit of transderivational searching goes on when you ask that question. How am I contributing to a situation I say I don't want? It's like, oh, well, I'm not. Well, hang on, I must be in some ways. You know, it always takes some two. Way, to I think we always are. <laughs> yeah. There's a little yeah. bit, and it's behavioral, and it may not even be intentional. And yeah. asking that question again brings awareness to those, you know, those situations because you start thinking and you go, oh, actually when I said that or when I did that or when I enabled that that's all actually contributing to that situation yeah yeah it might be three dominoes ago but it's still the first domino mm -hmm. yeah um Melissa I'm intrigued I'm interested if you were willing to share um I, I feel in a very different situation to to you as in I'm I'm, I'm white I'm you know middle-aged I've had many privileges just because of that what trade-offs have you had to make as a working mum? A few. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I think the obvious ones are that, you know, and luckily this is changing, so this is quite generalised in, in what I'm about to say, so I'll preface it with that. But yeah. typically the, the mother is the carer, which means that they are the one who's responsible for taking time off work, time away from their career to nurture and raise that small child, at least yeah. for the first few months of their life. Yeah. That is something that, you know, many dads don't get the opportunity to do even, um, you know, I know my husband wanted to have that opportunity, but it wasn't available to him because of where he was working. So those situations definitely impact us. That I think has shifted and predominantly because I think of my own situation and the fact that I do run my own business, I have been able to restructure my business to suit my situation. Yeah. And again, I've, I suppose in some ways, this is my third child too. And if I reflect on how things were 12 years ago with my first child, very different situation and very different response to, you know, childcare or bringing her to work or, you know, how all of that looked. So with my four-year-old, I set up a, a nursery in our office. She come to work with me. We had the nanny on site. You know, that was in the days where we all went to work, Monday to Friday, nine to five, and she came with me. And wherever I went, she went. This time it's a bit different. Like I only go into the office when I need to. The nanny's with me. Um, so I've had to make those shifts and changes, but I've also then had to educate people around me around when I am available, when I'm not available, why I might not be available. 
um, you know, what I can do and what I can't do because of the situation that I'm in with, with my children. And that has an impact on how much I travel. It has an impact on, you know, where I can do work and, you know, how, how quickly I can respond to something. So there's definitely been all of those sorts of challenges that have come with that. But I think in the, in, you know, coming back to that I get to is, you know, I'm getting to set an example for other people in our industry to show how you can do what I'm doing and still have mm. a family because mm. something that I notice in our in the design and architecture industry is we lose so many women to families right. who don't return because it's, it's a huge number and it's because of that thing I spoke about earlier about the pressure and the stress and the deadlines that come with you know project delivery project-driven work is that they they can't juggle it all. They mm. can't be there on site and they can't be there in the office, you know, as much as is required of some of those, um, those working conditions. So that is something that I've worked, you know, quite closely with to try and, you know, shift in my own team was employing women with children, giving them flexibility. But even then, you know, if you've got three kids and you're trying to hold down a full-time job and you're the primary carer, that is very much a different stress load. And so, you know, some of my good friends are now pursuing other alternative careers where they can work from home and use yep. their skill sets that they've got from the industry, but yep. aren't being, you know, they're not under the same stress and pressure that they had from being in the industry. So it's a really, it's a really sad thing. Um, and I don't have the answers to it. I've tried a few different ways to, to deal with it, <clears throat> finding the nanny on site for my staff as well. And it's, it, it's a mental load that we're carrying that um, that certainly does have an impact on our ability to stay in the workforce. Mm. And what about, and I feel completely unqualified and I can't answer, how about the single mums? Yeah. Who, for whatever circumstance, don't have the support, you know, family close or partner close, or they are the primary carer, the primary breadwinner, the primary everything mm. for that child or children. Uh, is there anything we can offer any counsel any 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 hope for for them i think that's a really tough situation and yeah. i myself was in that situation for for a period of time um yeah. it actually coincided with the start of my business um so i was part-time single mum um starting up my business and, you know, again, though, I was fortunate enough to have access to daycare and those sorts of yep. things. And you really do need a support network around you, whether it's friends, whether it's external outsourced help, um, any way that you can get that. And again, I do realise that that's another privileged position that I was able to afford to have. But mm. it's creating those networks of support around you. And, you know, my favourite saying is it takes a village to raise a child. And it really does. And whether you pay that village or you find that village, you know, you need yeah. You need those people around you because it's a tough gig. Like, yeah. and when you're working and you're trying to raise children and you're trying to be there for every, you know, school event that's going on or, you know, the cross country day. And, you know, there's this expectation that you will be the best possible business owner and the best possible mum. And that's a bloody big load to carry. Mm. And that's probably the thing that I've realized the most in the last few months and having a chat with a number of other female entrepreneurs who are also having children as well mm. is that that's a conversation we've been having a lot of is that you know in some of the circles that we we swim in is we are in these very uh you know large business groups with very successful men 
And when we're sitting at the table with them, there's an expectation that we are going to be the best possible business owner that we can possibly be. But at the same time, we're going to be the best possible wife and mother that their wives are as well. And it's like, there's two full-time jobs that we're being expected to to hold here. And that's that's a bloody lot. (laughs) And so this is where I think as women, we start to feel compromised Mm. um, that we're never actually fully achieving our potential in either space because we're kind of doing both at half mast a little bit. And I think that's where we need to cut ourselves some slack and just go, look, again, I get to be a professional woman and run my own business, but I also get to be a mum. And that means that what that looks like for me is going to be very different to what that looks like for you or yeah. any other person that I that I might encounter. Yeah. And I think that sorry, I'm rambling here. I think this is where it comes back to us determining our own uh, meaning of success, what that definition of success yeah. is for each of us. And again, this is something that I've been mulling over for the last sort of two years as well. And again, I think the pandemic probably sparked a lot of this is like, well, Mm. what is success? And is my definition of success the same as yours and Joe's and Billy's? Because we all have different circumstances, different situations, different gender biases, all sorts of things, different responsibilities. What does my definition of success look like? And am I just trying to live up to someone else's definition of success? And if so, what would mine look like if I could get to choose? And guess what? I do get to choose. So <laughs> how do I want that to how do I want that to look? Yeah. So that's been probably a very um, personal journey that I've been going on for the last two years is really redefining what my idea of success is and how yeah. I've been letting societal constructs or ideas of others or you know business groups determine and tell me what success should be for me. Mm. That's a really for me, it's a it's a, an interesting and for me personally confronting choice because one of the advantages I think of all the stuff that's online is we get to see other possibilities. Mm. You know, certainly when I was growing up, the village was the street next door. Yeah, that was it, and that was my only comparison. So it was a very limited, constricted view of what's possible. You know, on the nine o'clock news, which was the only broadcast of the day, you got to see. You know, Armstrong go to the moon. You got to see world events and perhaps get inspired. Nowadays, it's the flick of a switch. It's a scroll. It's the next picture. It's the, we're always, you know, this constant bombardment, I think, of living your best life. Mm -hmm. Now, contrast that with what you've just said. And I totally, I don't get it because it's not my situation, but I can see why you would. How do you live your best possible life as a mom and a carer and your best possible life as a professional businesswoman? Those two things aren't necessarily congruent at the best level. So how do you navigate, you know, without saying it's not the best, because it probably is under the circumstances, how do you navigate that one notch down from the best mom you can be and the best (laughs) entrepreneur you can be? Because like you say, you probably can't do both, Mm. but you're doing, it's like this, DNA helix, the best of both as I can, whenever I can with what I've got. How do you navigate those two almost challenging paradoxes? With great difficulty. Um, <laughs> it's probably the simple answer. Yes. I think there's an, there's an ebb and a flow that comes with this. And it's about being really clear and very conscious about where is the best use of my time. And where can I make the biggest impact 
in both worlds. So as a mum, what are my non-negotiables? Where am I going to absolutely show up? What do I need to be there for? And what can I potentially let go of? Um, you know, do I need to be at every school carnival or are there critical ones that I need to be at? Having those conversations then with my kids as well when they're old enough to understand is like I can be here for this and I can come to that, but I can't be there for this and this is why. So I think there's a lot of, um, there's a bit of soul searching that needs to happen in that to be, mm -hmm. to be able to have that clarity about, you know, what are those important moments that matter for our kids and being there for those. And, you know, likewise with my, with my son, I spent, you know, we've only just hired the nanny. He's four months old now. So I've made sure that I was around, you know, juggling the hundred things so that I was there. Whereas now he's a bit older. It's like, okay, well, what are the moments that matter with him? And it's playtime and, you know, feeding and those sorts of things. So having that balance in that space and then I think from a work perspective, it's really then comes back to what I said earlier is about being really clear on who it is that you want to work with and who it is that you want to be serving and aligning with and not saying yes to everything because it's the old 80-20 rule again, you know, 80% of your results come from 20% of your clients. Go back, analyze who are those 20% of clients and focus yeah. hard on those. And maybe it means you're not doing the same volume of work and the same volume of projects but the impact that you're making is significantly greater because you're honed in, you know, so clearly on your niche. And again, niching is something that I've discovered over time because I thought, oh, you know, you, I'm a designer. I do something for everybody. No, no, no. I'm a workplace dynamic strategist and I work with commercial workplaces and I work with businesses that are in this range um, who are professional services firms who have an investment in their people, who have aligned behaviours, they have clear mm -hmm. sense of purpose. Like once you know those things, you know who your perfect client is and you can be very specific and very targeted about that. Um, and then I think that enables you to help get some of that noise to fall away so you can be very conscious about what that looks like. And then there's the, the juggle that comes in the between because, you know, you know exactly what you want and it's just like there's only so many hours in a day. What, what can I actually do? Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick up on your, your idea around moments that matter because I agree. And I'm going to share a story that, that might indicate sometimes we don't know the moments that matter. And it was, mm. it was actually only maybe 10 years ago when my eldest daughter was in her teens. Um, she'd never really taken to milk and it's a ridiculous story, but you'll hopefully see the point in a second. And we kept, you know, why don't you like milk? Why don't you like milk? And eventually her awareness came to the moment. She realized that when she was something like three, she came downstairs in the morning because she was bottle fed. Um, and my wife was um, feeding our son, who was four months, mm. sitting in the dark, feeding Callum. And my wife simply said to my daughter, oh, go and get your milk. It's in the fridge. Now, there was no intention, there was no lack of love, there was no, you know, you could argue nothing happened. And yet in that moment, my daughter decided I don't like milk. Now, the milk's inconsequential, it doesn't really matter to some degree, you know, nutritionally, you could argue it's not a bad thing anyway. However, I wonder how many moments that matter we're just not even aware of. Mm that we've no idea that someone has made meaning from that interaction, that comment, that statement between you and someone else, including them, that there are many, if not as much, moments that matter that we're not even aware of, we're unconscious to them. 
I think that's a really good point. And I think there's probably quite a number, and particularly when they're young and at that influential age, and it's yeah. just an off-the-cuff comment, you know. We had a similar conversation with my four-year-old is that she had to give up her bottles when the baby brother came along because he yep. needed the bottles. Yep. <laughs> so yep. all of a sudden there's probably some resentment there because he took my bottles away. Yep. So and she she refuses to drink milk as well now because it's not in a bottle. Interesting. So interesting. it's really interesting. And I think, you know, as they get older, like I know I can actually have, you know, very intelligent conversations with my 12-year-old now. And there's a book that I um that I've read and it's um the five love languages. I don't know if you you're aware yep, of the five love yes. languages. Yeah. Yes. Kids have them too. Uh, we use them at work. We try and find out what are the the love languages of our team so that we can you know fill their cup that way. But our kids have them too. And you know yeah. my my twelve year old daughter's love language is quality time. So I would ask her at the end of a weekend what was the best thing about the weekend. And, you know we've been to the beach. We've done all these things she said to me I was sitting on the couch watching tv with you last night and yeah. you know we cuddled up together and watched tv and it's like they are the simplest and the easiest things for us to do but sometimes as busy parents they're the last thing that we actually do yeah. we're too busy trying to create big moments that matter and experiences and memories when they are actually the little memories that that really yeah. count so yeah I, I think just having a conversation with them when they're a little bit bigger you can kind of understand that but yeah I take your point when they're little who knows what meaning they're making from some of those things. I know. I've read that, you know, it's inevitable. We'll screw them up. Our job yeah. is to screw them up as least as we can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we'll hear about it later. Melissa, because this is in my camp too, I, I, I'm i surrounded by, you know, family and friends and kids. Um, we've talked a lot about being a working mum. What about the people that are listening perhaps that don't have kids or don't want kids and, and that's not their choice or maybe they would like to, but they can't. They can't. So not about the kids thing necessarily. Do you have any counsel for them or tips about how they might go around balancing the needs that they have with, you know, working full time? I don't think it's any different. I think it's still about being really clear on what it is that you want from your life personally. And right. you know, whether you've got kids or whether you don't, you've still got aspirations, you've got dreams, you've got adventures that you want to fulfill. I think it's just having the clarity around what does that look like? And again, you know, as I spoke about earlier, that, you know, being really intentional about what you want to do with your life and laying that foundation will then enable you to use your business, your work, your job, you know, whatever context that is, it's a vehicle. And that, took, again, took me a long time to realise, like myself and my business were so intertwined that, you know, I was my business and my business was me. Mm. And extracting that and realizing that my business is purely a vehicle to enable those things to happen it's the the thing that generates my income it's the thing that gives me the opportunity to contribute it's an external thing like I'm still me and I still have things that I want from my life and the person I want to be that is separate and I think that's having that distinguished separation and understanding that then enables you to make much more clearer choices and purposeful intentional choices around yeah. what you do with your business or your your career or your job yeah let, let me if i may uh, ask you some personal counsel then because that's one of the biggest struggles i face is this conscious and probably more unconscious connection with the work i do being what i'm worth mm -hmm. what uh what process or what work did you do to help 
make the distinction? Lots of little things, I think. And, you know, it's not an easy thing because when my business was going really well, I was like, yay, things are great. I'm yeah. great. Yeah. When things are shit, it's like, oh, I'm shit. Yep. Um, yep. And I've had, I had, okay. So last year I had three different business coaches all teaching me different things. One at a very functional business level, um, yep. sounding board, someone I could just talk through things with. I had another at more of, a, I suppose you'd say, a spiritual level. So she was yep. working on like emotional healing and yep. deeper ingrained, you know, um, trauma, yep. um, sense of worth, purpose, those sorts yep. of things. And then I had another you know, mastermind business group where I could see, you know, aspirationally how I could restructure parts of my business and grow different, yep. different aspects. Uh-huh. Each of those things gave me a very different lens and a very different perspective on value of myself and my business and helping to just kind of separate that and it's not an easy thing and I don't think I've got a simple answer and there's no sort of magic formula that I followed but it's kind of just teasing that apart and realizing that you know the business is one thing and there's only so much that I can do to influence it and control it and there's other things that are external to that like we talked about market conditions etc that make that happen and it's been a bit of a process and I again it's about that definition of success as well like I had I was defining what success was based on external factors again and I had to redefine what that definition of success was both for the business and then for me because I needed to start treating us as two different things um part of that also I think was I have created more of a personal brand as well in separation to the business so that I had this I you know I reclaimed my own identity I suppose through through that so with writing the book and having my podcast and doing online programs that was enabling me to have a sense of worth in myself that was purely me and then the business was a collective of people that came together to deliver on projects and that was something that was separate and I think that helped me a lot because I felt like at some point I had been so deeply ingrained in the business that there wasn't that ability to separate us. Whereas now there's like these two, two independent parties, but we work collectively and collaboratively together. Right. Well, thank you. Um, I look forward to the day when that's the case for me. It doesn't feel like that. It's a tricky one. And mm-hmm. I took a lot of external counsel on that as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think that helps. And I'm going to I'm going to guess. I guess I'm hoping for this too that it's not any one thing, mm. but it's a number of things. A number of seeds get planted, and you pick a little bit from here, and a little bit from there, and that question from there, and this from that. And you know, you, the counsel I've been given is it still has to have some signature of your own. Yes. So, yeah. like you're saying, the definition of success, whether it's material or immaterial, whether it's hard or soft. What, what's Pete Clark's stamp? What's Melissa Marsden's stamp on that? Mm. And that might change. Now you've got a four-year-old son or a child that's no longer at school or when the business is doing this or when the business is doing that, that might be, mm. that might change. I think it's definitely an evolution. Like I'm not the same person I was four years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Like I think right. we're constantly evolving. And to think that we kind of figure it out and that's it, I think is yeah. a little bit, short-sighted I think that it's something that continues to change and 
you know, what works right now for me probably won't work for me in six months' time. Um, yeah. And it's that constant evolution and reflection to readapt and to shift and to pivot and to change just to suit where you want to be heading. Um, but, yeah, it's it definitely wasn't one thing. It was a collective of things. And it's collective of conversations as well. Mm. Um, you know, hearing other people's stories and going, oh, well, that bit could work for me. And like you said, yep. it's collecting all these ideas and thoughts. I call myself a big sponge. I will seek counsel from all these people, yep. soak it all up, and then I distill it and go, okay, well, this is what feels authentic and real for me. Like this is what I feel like I could own and this is how I think I can move forward. But it's, you know, collating all of those ideas from a, a broad variety of people as well and that's the diversity of thinking is a really big one mm. um, making sure that we're getting lots of different perspectives mm. and I think that you know listening to podcasts and going to conferences those sorts of things really spark so much um, creative ideas in my brain about what the possibility and the potential is and sort of moving forward from that. Um, I'm intrigued to know if you are able to share the clues that tell you you're not the same person you were four years ago. Oh, yeah. How, how do you know? Um, I think as a person, I'm far calmer. Um, <laughs> I know my triggers now and I know when I'm, or, you know, or I'm in that state of stress or flight or overwhelm and I now have the tools available to myself and I know mm. how to, to bring myself back. Um, and I think, you know, we all get to that state. So it's knowing how to, to manage it. Um, and I think there's just, I feel far more comfortable now about saying no to things that I don't think work well for me. And I've got a, a language and a toolkit of how to do, to say no respectfully and, you know, by, but maintaining that sense of um, truthfulness to myself, I think as well. So yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to how I inherently feel about myself um, and how I feel like I'm showing up and the contribution that I'm making and, you know, the way that I am with my family and the way that I am in my business. I think all of those things, you know, they feel better. They feel more real. They feel much more calm and smooth. Um, there's definitely less pointy bits. Yeah, and, and for me... It, it this is not a criticism at all it's it's a little bit generic but i get so much how even just the comment it just feels better mm. is so powerful so empowering because that this like this this the umbrella term that means yeah there's less pointy bits mm. yeah it's not so sharp around the edges anymore <laughs> yeah. yeah which is cool um yeah. and look melissa i'm so grateful for your your time before we finish um i'm gonna ask you some really quick hopefully easy to answer questions um if people want to get hold of you how do they how do they do that if you head over to my website which is melissamarsden.com.au you mm -hmm. can uh find me and my contact details there or come and connect with me on linkedin i hang out there quite a bit or right. i'm on instagram at melmar m-e-l-m-a-r okay cool and we'll put all those in the show notes as we as we produce this so thank you so melissa um are you um night in or night out Night in. <laughs> um, sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Okay. The last movie that made you cry? Mm, it'd be a kid's no. movie. Absolutely. <laughs> Any of the Disney Disney movies. has a way of making you pull on those heartstrings. And uh, which one was it? I don't know. It was one of the kids' ones recently. And I just yeah. got a bit teary. The music the does it for me. 
so yeah. much you know <laughs> yeah yeah the music is yeah but they're supposedly meant them for kids but actually i think there's some adult messages in there too absolutely yes um what's a maxim you live your life by oh life short so for f's sake do what makes you happy <laughs> <laughs> and are there any rules you like to break uh probably all of them within reason <laughs> <laughs> well given our conversation started with freedom yeah yeah i think um there's a there's a few rules that I, I tend to like to break just in terms of shifting the status quo i like to argue the point instead okay. of just doing what we've always done it's like question a lot of things there okay and and maybe one final question what's a book that's changed your life hmm I'm looking at my bookshelf here and there's so many. Um, <laughs> one that I think has made the biggest impact on me in the last few years is um, Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein, um, okay. which again is kind of a bit more in that spiritual realm. Yeah. But if you take some of the, the woo-woo away yeah. from the message that's in that, a lot of it is around mindset. And yeah. again, big um big lessons in that around getting to choose and reframing situations um they were probably the biggest takeaways that i took out of uh, out of that book great we'll put that in the show notes too wonderful Melissa, thank you so much for taking time out from your very busy entrepreneurial life and i'm grateful the nanny was able to take your son on yes. a lovely walk in the park it's been lovely chatting and thank you it's been wonderful i really enjoyed it thanks so much for having me Pete. You're welcome.